There's a difference between whether someone can use a gun and when they should use a gun. And we as a city must train for that difference. Gee, Rom, you think? Right here at the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast, 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, Oregon, on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, PA, 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. And coast-to-coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, the TuneIn app, on iTunes, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, RadioOrNot.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and Radio Sputnik five days a week. Of course... The broadcast is usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com, but today, once again, you've got me, the blushing bride, Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com. And yes, I am really guest hosting the broadcast on my wedding day. Seriously. Well, more about that later. But thankfully, most of the heavy lifting for today's show is already done by John Nichols and the good folks at The Nation magazine who've come up with their annual progressive honor roll to end the year. So we'll get to that in a, in a little bit. But first, a bit of news. Yesterday, accused serial rapist Bill Cosby was arraigned and freed on a $1 million bond on charges of aggravated indecent assault. And I gotta say, watching him do the perp walk back to the car was a thing of beauty. I know, innocent till proven guilty, but where there's that much smoke, just saying. And what a way to end the year, huh? Now, in Chicago, Embattled Mayor Rahm Emanuel is still fighting off calls for his resignation as the Justice Department steps in to investigate the systemic use of force within the Chicago Police Department. The city was still reeling from the release of dash cam video showing a Chicago cop, Jason Van Dyke, shooting a black 17-year-old, Laquan McDonald, 16 times when the latest outrage happened. Yeah. It was early Tuesday morning, like, you know, middle of the night, Tuesday morning, when Chicago police were involved in yet another shooting. This time, they killed two people, 19-year-old Quintonio Legrier and 55-year-old Betty Jones. Police say that Legrier was charging at officers when they opened fire. Jones, the downstairs neighbor, was accidentally shot and killed by police, authorities said. So Rahm Emanuel today held a press conference during which he announced uh, new protocols within the Chicago police force. He said uh, Chicago police officers will be trained to use and equipped with 1,400 stun guns, also known as tasers, by June of 2016. I guess a taser is better than um, 
uh, a bullet, but um, maybe on the next broadcast, we can get Digby on to talk about tasers. She's done a lot of work in that area. Anyway, here's a little more of what Rahm Emanuel had to say at today's press conference. There's a difference between whether someone can use a gun and when they should use a gun. And we as a city must train for that difference. These changes are also not the first steps that we have taken as a city. We announce that any officer involved in shootings will be put on desk duty for 30 days so we can assess their fitness for duty. That's a change from three days. I also directed Interim Superintendent Escalante and Acting Head of EPRA, Independent Police Review Authority, Sharon Farrelly, to review the crisis response policies that are in place so that we can, uh, so that we can see what needs improvement and what needs to be changed. Today we're taking additional steps to create more time and distance in these situations and other encounters to make environments safe and safer for all. We will improve communication between officers and individuals to make these encounters less confrontational and more conversational. And we will double the number of tasers to 1,400 while also providing officers the training to use them properly. With the right policies, the right procedures, and the right practices, we can change our officers' perspectives to help them ensure their own safety and the safety of others. We want to ensure that our officers are not just operating in either first gear or fifth gear, but to recognize the degrees in between so they can respond appropriately to each individual situation, where, fast, where force can be the last option, not the first choice. Yeah, good luck with that. And what took you so long? Uh, to be continued, all eyes on Chicago. We're watching you, Rom. Now, if you were planning on ringing in the new year in Brussels, well, you're probably too late. You'll never get there in time. But that's okay, because you'd miss out on the fireworks. As authorities in the Belgian capital called off their traditional New Year's Eve fireworks display, citing fears of a terror attack. On Tuesday, federal prosecutors said two people suspected of plotting an attack in Brussels on New Year's Eve had been arrested during house searches in different parts of the country. And, well, on a related note, and to make us feel not quite so bad about our own Secret Service, uh, there's this. Authorities in Belgium are investigating claims that a group of soldiers and police officers had an orgy during a four-day lockdown following the November terrorist attacks in Paris. Yeah, I can't make this stuff up. Two police officers and eight soldiers allegedly participated in the group sex act at a police station in the Ganshoren neighborhood of Brussels, according to a couple of Belgian newspapers. The incident occurred while police and military in the Molenbeek neighborhood to the south of the station searched for suspects with ties to the November 13th attacks in Paris. A police spokesman said that an internal investigation has been launched. I'll bet it has. And there is your look at the news for this uh, final day of 2015. I can only imagine what it'll be like a year from now. All right, we'll take a break and come back on the other side with John Nichols of The Nation for our annual waltz through the progressive honor roll, 2015 style. That's next. Stick around. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, filling in on the broadcast. 
Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. One more Nicole? She's on live Monday through Friday from 10 to noon Eastern Time and repeating all day at RadioOrNot.com. Listen anytime. can only get better, right? Because look what we're leaving behind. Uh, welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, filling in again today, and I'll be bringing in a brand new year uh, as a married woman. Getting married tonight. Seriously. I'm a glutton for punishment. What can I say? I- I'm not talking about the wedding. I'm talking about filling in for uh, Brad and Desi on my wedding day. So let's get this party started, shall we? Uh, we spend a lot of time complaining, at least I do. You know, I complain because I care. But today, to end the year, as it were, I thought this was a time to salute the best among us. And uh, to do that, I enlist the help of an old friend, John Nichols. He is the Washington correspondent of The Nation magazine, although he's based in Madison, Wisconsin, go figure. And every year, he is at the helm of the nation's annual progressive honor roll. This is a tradition we've uh, got. It's really your tradition. I just sort of jumped on the bandwagon. No, no, (laughs) you are now central to the tradition. Well, every year, the Nation magazine publishes their annual progressive honor roll, honoring those who deserve to be honored. And um, every year, you and I go over the list and, you know, and and sort of uh, debate. We don't don't debate its merits. We, we, We heap on the praise because, you know, here's my thing. 2015, I think, John, was the year of ugliness and nastiness the year uh, i think it's uh, the donald trump effect where where people uh-huh. said oh if he can be an asshole so can we um and and so the gloves came off and the ugliness just sort of spewed forth and so i think in in a in an atmosphere like this it's even more important to uh, really thank the people who did uh, you know praiseworthy work and and that's what you do with the uh, progressive honor roll each year well, I appreciate your way of uh, phrasing it. I think I agree with that very much. I, in fact, it, what I would suggest is that 2015 was the year of trying to out-Trump Trump. Mm. And so the really horrible politics of Donald Trump, uh, and that includes you know, bashing of immigrants, 
of refugees, mm-hmm. of religious minorities, the establishment of religious tests that go against everything that Americans should honor and value in our history, that became the baseline. And from that baseline, uh, much like Internet trolls, mm-hmm. uh, much of the rest of the Republican Party, and frankly, a lot of our media, extended. It went to uglier and, and more difficult places. And so in that context, where it is so easy to imagine a politics that is only about the negatives, only about really, I would argue, going backward mm-hmm. as a country, yeah. uh, not making America great again, but making America into something that we never wanted it to be. Um, in that context, it becomes vitally important to recognize the individual's the institutions that have pushed back, not just pushed back, you know, in defense, but often pushed back on backward ideas and said, no, we can, even in these times, go forward. We can do great things. We can be a wonderful, loving, decent, humane, visionary country. And I know you do that with your show all the time. I try. And I appreciate, no, I really appreciate that. I think that's a big, big deal. You getting up every day, and I know it's not easy, <laughs> and putting this out there. No, it's not. And, mm-hmm. and you're emblematic of, of a lot of this. You and I talk about it, so you rise up to this next status of you know, being the observer. I obviously never put myself on the list. I don't put you on, but I certainly could, because the fact of the matter is you know, it's, there are these people across this country who actually believe it matters. It matters to fight for liberal, progressive idealistic visions of America that I've always, always been the only thing that ever saved us. The only thing that ever got us out of, out of a dark spot as a country wasn't somebody saying, oh, look at that awful person or look at that awful group of people or let's not let that, them in, let's block them. No, it's always been the individual like Emma Lazarus who mm-hmm. said, you know, give me your tired, yeah. you poor. So I, I celebrate you. And, uh, and it's a pleasure to be on with you. Ah, well, thank you, John Nichols. Well, it's always an honor to have you on um, a- as well. You know, there were, there were a lot of great progressives this year. I just uh, ran down the, the big progressive victories in the Supreme Court, of course. Uh, you know, at the, the beginning of the year, we had no idea how it would shake out. And it turned out 2015 was the year that gave us... Um, uh, finally, uh, the, the 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 yes, the Affordable Care Act is constitutional, and more importantly, mm-hmm. I think, uh, same-sex marriage, the law of the land. Um, mm-hmm. Again, a year ago at this time, we were light years behind where we are today. So good, great things are possible, although it seems um, it, with each year we are pushing harder against the, those who would uh, seek to, as you put it, John Nichols, uh, take us backwards. Um, so it exactly. is. It really is a, a battle for the ages. Like, do we move forward? Do we move into the future, or do we, you know, live in the past? And uh, sadly, if you listen to the the social uh, pronouncements of the right, you know, um, they they want to take us back to the dark ages. So uh, hopefully, people see that and and are willing to step up. Um, I guess you know that's what 2016 will bring to us. We we'll find that out. We hope. We hope. And we hope. All right. So let's go through uh, the nation's uh, 2015 progressive honor roll. Um, the first one that that you always have on there is most valuable senator. I know. I think last year or the year before, you guys officially retired Bernie Sanders because he had been there every year for 
<laughs> you know, yes. a few years before that. Um, and then Elizabeth Warren took the mantle, but she's not there. She's not at the top of the list this year. Instead, Sheldon Whitehouse. And I found this a, a surprising choice, not because I think Sheldon Whitehouse is anything less than a great progressive, but because he keeps a really low profile. I didn't hear his name much in the news this year. Well, that's one of the reasons. One of the things we try to do with the progressive honor roll is to kind of keep pushing outward, looking for new faces, new voices. So it isn't the usual suspects, right? Right, right. And could we put Bernie Sanders up at the top? Every again, year, yep. As most progressive senator? I think you probably could. Could you put Elizabeth Warren there? Yes. Yes, I think you probably could. Uh, I can name a couple others who we've honored in the past, folks like Jeff Merkley out of Oregon, uh, who is just doing incredible work. But I, I also, when we put this together, and Katrina Vanderhoeville and others in the nation, when we talk about, you know, folks who really stand out, one of the things we look for is somebody who's maybe seized an issue. And in 2015, Sheldon Whitehouse, the senator from Rhode Island, seized the issue of climate change. Mm. And it wasn't that, that he just got into it this year. I mean, the fact of the matter is he's been working on it for, for a very long time. But... This guy, if you can imagine it, he has gone to the, the Senate virtually every week and delivered a major speech on climate change. He's, now, he's delivered dozens of them so that it is in the record. Even when Congress does not act, there is someone there holding the banner up. More importantly, he, has, he went to Paris with a group of other, led a group of other senators or was part of a group of senators that went to Paris to say to the international negotiators, don't pull your punches. Don't go soft on this issue because you think the, the United States will not follow along with you. We will back up President Obama in any deal that comes together, and we have beaten the, the deniers. We've beaten the backward forces in the past using the, the rules of the Senate, the tools that we have available to us. So don't pull back. Don't you know, go soft on this. Finally, as a veteran, uh, legal scholar, prosecutor, somebody who knows the law. He has been in the forefront of arguing for going after the oil companies in much the same way that we once went after the tobacco companies and said they need to be held to account for lying to us about information they have in their own files and not being truthful about climate change. And so... This guy has, has made it essentially a central part of what he does, and that was why we decided to honor him. Uh, good choice. Very good choice. Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island. And wouldn't it be interesting if someday we saw a White House in the White House? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> when you meet this guy, if you see him in, in, uh, in action, uh, <laughs> we may never have, and that's right. fine, by, by right. the way. We may never have a, somebody who who fits the perfect image of a president, again, mm-hmm. in the old historical movies. Right. And I think it's good we move beyond that. I yes. want to have people of color and women and, right. and, you know, all sorts of diversity in our presidency. So I'm, I'm glad not to go backwards. But I will say that you know, Sheldon Whitehouse actually fits the image right. in many ways. And the name. I mean, he, some would yeah, say exactly. he's born yeah. to it. So anyway, there's that. Most Valuable House Member. Uh, in, in the Nation magazine's 2015 progressive honor roll, uh, John Nichols, I agree with you on this one, Rosa DeLauro. This 2015, to me, was the year, was the battle over, 
you know, fast track and the Trans-Pacific Partnership. It ain't over till it's over, though we lost the battle on fast track. We still maybe could win the fight against the TPP. And if we do, it's going to be because of the work of people like Rosa DeLauro. She's incredible. I mean, Rosa DeLauro, who is a big deal member of Congress. It's mm-hmm. important to understand she's been there for a good long time representing Connecticut. Yep. She is very respected by leadership. She's worked very, very closely with the White House, with President Obama on a host of, uh, you know, women's rights, choice, uh, civil liberties, and a whole bunch, all sorts of areas where she's had good alliances with the White House. But on this issue, she did something that is tough. She broke with the president of her own party and said, no, fast track and the Trans-Pacific Partnership and all of these other trade agreements that extend from it, that could extend from it, these are bad deals. They're not well designed. They're being negotiated in secret without proper input from Congress. They seem in so many ways to be extensions of corporate power at a time when corporations are so strong and getting stronger all the time. The last thing we need is a, a trade deal that, that you know worsens a bad situation. And she used her prominence, her authority, uh, her background as a person who was one of the chief authors of previous uh, Democratic Party national platforms, uh, her close ties to so many people at so many levels, to organize Democrats in the House as a solid block of opposition, first to fast track and then to uh, the deal itself, or at least to where we think the deal is at this point. And that is important for two reasons. Number one, if there is a TPP, and I'm increasingly of the view there won't be, mm. but if a Trans-Pacific Partnership does come to pass, it will be better because of the opposition. It, the White House and negotiators will have been forced to do more because there was opposition. We should always understand that often when we oppose something, we don't, get, we don't stop it, but we make it better. Right. So that's the first step. But if it is stopped, if it is stopped, I would argue, and I think most members of Congress who treat things seriously would argue, that the work of Rosa DeLauro in alliance with folks like Keith Ellison of Minnesota and Mark Pocan of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Raul Grijalva of Arizona, Congressional Progressive Caucus leaders yep. and others, it is their work uh, day in, day out that, that really stopped this thing or at least slowed it down. And that's it's an incredible accomplishment because the, the force, the power that backs these free trade deals, all the corporate power, all the Wall Street power, is quite overwhelming. Right. And, and so I, I give her, I give Rosa DeLauro, who is just tireless, very high marks. And you she's know, doing it yep. because she represents a part of Connecticut that has been very hard hit by bad trade deals. Hmm. She recognizes the real damage. You know, every uh, press release and, and Trans-Pacific Partnership is is an issue that I pay a lot of attention to. Uh, we covered it a lot on this program throughout the year. I know you did. Right? But, <laughs> I wish, right, and I not, wish we had more media like so you. So do I, frankly. Um, uh, you know, let's let's jump ahead, though, because you did uh, this year. You, you have a uh, most valuable um, podcast, and, and you gave it to Ed Schultz, um, who, I'll tell you, was when he was on TV, was... I, w- I, I feel pretty confident in saying probably, probably, because I'm not 100% sure, but the mm-hmm. only person 
on a on a, a cable news channel or you know a network for that matter who regularly talked about the Trans-Pacific Partnership and Fast Track. He, you know, and and took a strong position. Nowhere else on MSNBC did I see. I mean, even Rachel Maddow, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I never saw talk about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Um, and and obviously, I, it may have cost him his job. I don't I don't know about you know how they make decisions in, inside the upper echelon Nor do of, I. of networks. Uh, but what I do know is this, that at MSNBC, and that's one of the reasons, you know, again, why we recognize this is to, in some ways to tell people that Ed Schultz is still at it. Mm-hmm. He's still making uh, media, as you do and, and others, using this new model of the podcast as, as a very powerful tool for getting information out. But here's what I do know, that, Ed Schultz did a couple of really amazing things when he was on television. One of them was to bring the issues of working class people, of labor, and of unions to the forefront. And that, by its nature, ties into the TPP and the European variations on these trade deals. I think that that his role was, as you suggest, essential in exposing and challenging. I also would note that he did something else that was incredibly vital. He was initially a supporter of the um, uh, Keystone Pipeline, yes, and you know, spoke out for yep. it. Was yep. was pretty enthusiastic and supportive of it. And then his own viewers, his own listeners, said to him, "Ed, you really got to check this thing out. You should. You're not. You're not right on." This. Right. Well, how many people in politics or media, when their listeners or viewers or supporters say you're not right, how many of them say, "Oh, I better check it out." Right. Did and he changed his position. And so I think that's worthy of note that there are that that exists that there are people who who do that and with what he's done with the podcast much like what you do is he has brought um, you know a lot of prominent voices to the fore in many ways the podcast that he does recreates um, a lot of what you saw on TV and I want to just want to make sure people are aware of it. Okay. Uh, and that works. And you have a most valuable broadcast media. Oh, by the way, you know what? And well, I'll, I'll do that after. Most valuable broadcast media. This one surprised me because when we think of democracy now, I mean, uh, nobody, you know, we always think of Amy Goodman, but you're saluting Juan Gonzalez on democracy now. Um, and, and, and frankly, I see it, but I see it sporadically because the live broadcast comes on as I'm in the middle of show prep each day. But um, <laughs> Democracy Now!, I, I think no one can deny its importance in the world of um, actual real news broadcasts and truth-telling. In this day and age of the commercialized media, and um, as, as our, my friend Joel Silberman, who's on with me every Monday, um, he called 2015 the year that brought us the death of the truth in, in, in terms of yeah. media. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right? That was his uh, you know, big media story of the year, the death of truth. Um, yeah. Juan Gonzalez and Democracy Now!, they're, they are... Um, dedicated to actually bringing the truth on television, something that has become almost a rarity these days. And what I loved about the reason I cited Juan Gonzalez um, is, A, he's been doing incredible work for a long time. Mm-hmm. He is a veteran. Um, he's at Amy Goodman's side, not every day. Right. There's other people like Nermeen Sheikh and others who are just fantastic on that show. But what Gonzalez did and what he continues to do is he, he takes a special interest in a host of issues that are so undercovered. And one of them is the condition of Puerto Rico. 
Yes. And the Puerto Rico, which is a part of the United States, yep. highly populated, but not a state in this, this odd sort of commonwealth status, is in economic crisis. And it is amazing to me that we have the equivalent, in, in so many ways, of an American state that is in you know, just scorching economic meltdown, facing real challenges because of austerity policies. And most of our media is just scant attention to it. Juan Gonzalez threw himself into that story, told it in a thousand different angles, um, and, and kept coming back to it. And in my mind, uh, I love it when somebody like you or somebody like Juan, you know, just grabs a hold of an issue and, and holds on to it through the whole year. He right. says, I'm not going to let you neglect this. Mm-hmm. Not going to let this be denied. And that's what he did, especially with the economic stories coming out of Puerto Rico. Right. And that Puerto Rico story, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that if you walk down the street, um, probably 10 out of 10, w- unless they had family members in Puerto Rico, would not know that there is a true uh, financial crisis in Puerto Rico happening right now. Yeah. They probably wouldn't yeah, know that Puerto Rico is not a state or is part of the United States. So uh, <laughs> it's a bigger problem than just the fact that the media, the new so-called news media, did not report on this Puerto Rico story at all, maybe with the exception yeah. of Juan Gonzalez on Democracy Now! You nailed it. And that's that's why I thought it was very important to highlight. I mean, you know, one of the things that, that we try to do with the honor roll every year is to highlight uh, not just individuals, but the way that individuals raise up particular issues. And so it's, a, as you see with, you know, talking about Senator Whitehouse as regards climate change, talking about Juan Gonzalez as regards the Puerto Rico debt crisis and economic crisis. You know, I'm, I'm not in that interested in individuals solely because of their individuality. I love people for who they are. But when we talk about this political context, I'm interested in what they do with an issue or with an idea, with a, a way of moving beyond a politics of personality, which I think we have too much of, toward uh, what we ought to have, which is uh, great debates mm-hmm. about issues and ideas. Amen. John Nichols is with us. He is the Washington correspondent for The Nation. And each year, he wraps up the year by compiling uh, The Nation's annual progressive honor roll. It's a tradition. We, we spend at least uh, uh, one segment together going over the best of the year. We'll continue with our look through the best of 2015 with John Nichols of The Nation next. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, filling in on the broadcast. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Nicole Sandler of RadioOrNot.com, in for Brad and Desi for this final edition of the broadcast for 2015. You know, a new year always presents the opportunity for new beginnings, right? And since neither the broadcast nor the Nicole Sandler show made the nation's progressive honor roll for 2015, 
well, there's always 2016, right? John Nichols is with us of The Nation. Every year we get together at the end of the year to uh, go over the nation's choices for the progressive honor roll, looking back on the year almost gone by. And John Nichols, this your name is on the progressive honor roll every year, but this is not something you write in a vacuum, right? This is uh, the editors of The Nation. Who all puts this list together? Well, I always consult with Katrina Mann, who, who is the editor and publisher of The Nation and, and my great colleague. And so... Uh, we talk about it, but we also look. We we fully recognize our our uh, inability to to begin to talk about all these issues uh, in and of ourselves. So yes, other editors are are brought in, writers are brought in. I'll ask people. Sometimes we'll we will say to folks um, who are active around the country, "What did you see?" Mm. Uh, and because we've been doing it now for the better part of fifteen years, uh, I'm sorry. Not quite that long, 10 years. Mm -hmm. I apologize for extending. But for for 10 years, uh, people know it's coming. And, you know, you'll hear toward, you know, like October or November, folks will start, you know, throwing in their nomination, Mm. so to speak. And, and, you know, I will tell you, uh, without being too revealing of the the secret processes, um, that one suggestion that we got completely out of the blue um, ended up framing uh, the choice of best documentary. Really? Well, then let's talk yeah, yeah. about... Okay, well, I want to get to that in a second, but before we leave the media section, and you have uh, the most valuable media criticism, FAIR, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, who does great job. And yeah, they, they sort of, uh, I guess, helped expose Donald Trump for what he is, though, I, I, you know, he does a good job of that himself. My, yeah. One of my problems, and it, it has been ongoing for a while now, uh, never seems to be letting up, is the way some in the media... And some who criticize the media call it the liberal media. And in fact, if you watch television, uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a liberal voice left. You know, now that MSNBC made its uh, transition to MS, mm-hmm. it went from MSNBC to MSDNC to MSRNC to MST Rump. Now, it I don't know what they're doing these days, except for a couple of hours at night. Um you know, I, I got so tired of hearing the liberal media, the liberal media, that I thought it was time to basically put together a directory because there is liberal media. We're just not yeah. in the traditional mainstream uh, uh, venues. So I went looking for like the URL, the liberalmedia.com.net.org. Every permutation of the liberal media was taken and parked. I'm, I'm guessing it yeah. was somebody from Breitbart or Drudge who has too much money right. and too much yeah. time on their hands. But, you know, they're start, they're releasing all these new um, uh, suffixes, these new uh, URL suffixes. So I was able to get in on the ground floor and I reserved the liberal dot media. So the liberal dot media, if you go there, is a directory of the liberal media. And I'm always willing to add to it if anybody notices oh, that I gotta, left off. we got to raise that up. Yeah. We do more to highlight that. Yes. That's fabulous. So Good it's there, you. the liberal yeah. dot media. And I'm always encouraging people, if I, if I left yeah. off anybody off, email me. We'll put them on there. I, this is democracy. But the, the you know, and, and in terms of the news sites that are um, uh, included on there, you know, that that's sort of questionable because I think the truth has a liberal bias to it, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, the nation is in there. I don't think the nation is necessarily a liberal publication. I think you're dedicated to the truth. Um, and sometimes... Well, I think also that yeah. the nation, like so many publications, and maybe even like your show, mm-hmm. um, you know, we evolve over time. 
And and so to one of the problems I have with saying that something is liberal or conservative media, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right, is that, you know, what was liberal at one time may evolve what was conservative at one time. You know, the fact of the matter is, um, you know, I look at conservative media and I think it horribly serves the conservative movement. Terribly. Right? Because it tends to raise up personalities and sort of this cheap shot politics, which is very, very much, it's very much about, you know, attacking the other side rather yeah. than actually standing for anything. That's right. And I think one of the reasons why conservatives today, why they may turn to Trump, why they feel so um, alienated and so angry and frustrated, while they won't admit it, uh, maybe they don't even understand it, is because they've been told now for decades that, you know, everybody's against them, everything's horrible, they're under attack, and I, I'm not even sure they even know what they're for anymore. You know, they just, it, it's just this, it, it's a, what's called conservative media is essentially a media of anger and opposition to that which it isn't, whatever that is. And I think it is vital for us to understand that as we talk about media, what we want is folks who do tell their truth. And frankly, folks who optimistically advance ideals, who say, I'm for this, I want Mm -hmm. more of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the fact of the matter is there are some conservative ideas that are great, um, which I would be very sympathetic to. Um, But... You never hear them advanced anymore. They don't. You certainly don't hear them advanced by Donald Trump. But frankly, the whole of the Republican presidential crew is at odds with um, what I would think of as traditional and valid conservatives. Right, and in many cases, the truth. I mean, there was something the other day. You know, when when uh, on social media things get out of control and people are defending like the lies and nonsense spewed by Donald Trump. And to, you know, as proof that they're right to back up their contention, they'll cite, you know, something from Breitbart News. Well, that's an oxymoron if I ever heard one. Um, Breitbart is not news. And you know what? His organization should have died when he did because it does a disservice no, to the truth. I don't I, mind it's exist. not news. I, that's the yeah. thing, though. I have a problem when something calls itself news and it's and it's propaganda or it's made up stuff or it's you know it's pushing false narratives and that's what Breitbart does it he did it when he was alive and his tradition I think lives on I I, I have a problem you know with on cable TV Fox can call itself news because um, uh, the FCC has no jurisdiction over. Uh, cable in that sense. Um, They couldn't put that channel, say, on the Fox television network and call it news because they make stuff up. Um, And and the FCC could step in, not that they would, but they could, and stop them from calling themselves news. Um, I think there's a problem there when there's no quality control, as it were. Though I don't know who would well, do the quality control. I guess that's up to that's the, the, the customer. That is the real problem, of course, because you never, you know, when we start to talk about, um, you know, what makes for good or bad, I mean, obviously that's got to be defined largely by the market, you know. And, and so uh, what we really need to do is raise up the quality of all of our media, and um, that's both right and the left, and to have more ideas involved. And the only thing I'll say as regards the Breitbart folks, for what it's worth, is um, I probably disagree with them on everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard hard to say that there would be anything in which I would dis- I would agree with them, and yet they at, at a period at a certain period this year when all of the media was attacking Trump 
or not attacking, but was dismissing Trump. Breitbart, a lot of the Breitbart folks raised Trump up and said, you know, look, there's something here that a lot of people are into. Now, it happens. I disagree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's not where I'm at. But I was fascinated by the role that they played because I think that they um, countered a narrative that existed even in conservative media. And, and so I am a fan, frankly, of media that challenges existing orders, existing structures, that pushes things out, that blows things up. Now, that's the first baseline that we ought to have is, you know, it's not news or it's not, it's not you know, worthwhile discourse if it's not saying something we don't know, right? It should be right. pushing in a new direction. And the second standard, though, and this is the deeper one, which I think most of our media falls apart on. And, uh, and this, is, this goes across all of our mainstream media and, and, and even beyond that, is the notion that, you know, why are, we, why are we doing what we're doing? What is the purpose of what we do? And I would argue that the purpose of what we do is to inform people so they can govern themselves, right? Mm-hmm. To give people the information they need to guide their own affairs. It's effectively empowerment. And... Uh, I think that most of our media now is about profit. And profit and empowerment don't always go, go along well with one another. We have a lot of history that tells us that um, they can often be at odds with one another. And so it strikes me that when we talk about what media ought to be, you know, our first, cha- our first standard ought to be, yeah, I mean, even things we don't like, that they that that media ought to challenge existing orders. It ought to throw things off. It ought to shake things up because that's, that's a very deep historic tradition and a good one. But secondly, it wants to recognize that the value of reporting things and of speaking about stuff and analyzing and commenting is that we help citizens to become more engaged. And how do we know that most of our media fails today? Well, I've got an easy, I've got an easy answer for you on that. In local elections across this country, we often have turnout of under 10%. Yeah. In state elections, we often have a turnout of under, under 40%. Yeah. Yeah. In presidential elections, we often have a turnout around 50%, a little bit over. And those are the measures of an absolutely failed media. Because when most people don't vote, we either have to assume that people are bad, right? That there's something wrong with them. Or we have to assume that as consumers of our media system, uh, they don't get enough sustenance. Right. They don't get enough encouragement to go out and participate. That's right. And that is the problem. And 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 I think part of it is, you know, and my, my criticism of Breitbart is the fact that they call themselves news when they're not. Opinion, look, uh, in this program, I don't say is a news program. We are based in news, but I offer opinion based in fact. And my listeners know if I ever get something wrong, I want them to correct me. I want to come on the air the next day and say, all right, correction department, here's what I messed up yesterday, because I don't want to be the purveyor of misinformation. But it seems that that's what some of these right-wing media sites that call themselves news uh, thrive sure. on, and that's the problem I have. Well, uh, and I think that, and I think the term news, yeah, right, is, is, <laughs> is I, I hate to tell you, I see a lot of evening newscasts. Yeah, that that are not. <laughs> that, yes, that boy, when I'm watching oh those God. exercise tips and the weather the fifteenth time, I'm starting yep. to wonder how much 
whether whether that could maybe that's our great challenge for 2016, right? Yeah. Maybe that's our great challenge. Take on lo- an, a local evening newscast <laughs> and and do it on, on a oh on God. a false advertising. Yeah. Oh, that's say, a, ooh. You know how that's much of idea. this is, news. is real news, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Ooh, that's a there's a challenge. All right, a few more before we run. John sure, Nichols of sure. the Nation. You mentioned the most valuable documentary. Honestly, I hadn't heard of We Are Many, but it looks fascinating. And this was brought to your attention by by readers. Yeah, or by yeah, uh, by a, basically a friend of the magazine who okay. said, you know, look, I know you usually recognize the documentary. Have you seen this one? Have you checked it out? And I hadn't, uh, and I don't know that Katrina had either or others. And so um, we checked it out, and boy, we were just blown away um, because it sort of does. There are a lot of good documentaries, by the way, in 2015. It was a, it was a, a rich year of many good documentaries, even one on, marking the 100th anniversary of the Nation magazine. Hmm. Uh, but but when I when I saw this, we are many. It was so unimaginably powerful because it recalled the overwhelming international opposition to a war in Iraq, and it showed these incredible protests, the the millions who went to the streets believing in our right to assemble and petition for the redress of grievances, and it was such a beautiful, powerful, brilliant uh, expression of that anti-war statement. Now. Many people would say, yeah, but why is that great? Because, of course, they didn't succeed. They didn't stop the war. And it's true. George Bush and Tony Blair, they got their war. They got the war they wanted. Yep. The absolute disaster that haunts us to this day. But what this filmmaker does, which is so absolutely valid, is to show what those people did next. And they went out and they became the underpinnings of movements uh, uh, you know, for things that, that we don't necessarily associate with the anti-war movement of 2002-2003, Arab Spring, Occupy, uh, efforts to push back against austerity around the world. People trace activism back to those anti-war marches yeah. in 2003. That's and right. so it, he does this brilliant job of linking it all up and making us understand that an arc of history may have, you know, we may have started one arc of history with these marches against a war that wasn't stopped. But that arc of history isn't done, and it is bending toward justice. Uh, uh, Yes, it is. Um, And I'll have to go check this out. You know, a a lot of us, um, the news media didn't report on the the, the Iraq war protests when they were happening either. So uh, this We Are Many is one to put on the list. Uh, Most valuable rock album, sadly, one that a lot of people didn't hear, unless you're a Neil Young fan, which I am, The Monsanto Ah. Years. How awesome is it of Neil Young to do a rock album? You know, this is the man who brought us Living With War, the, the best musical indictment of the Bush Wars uh, imaginable. Yep. Now he brings us uh, The Monsanto Years by Neil Young and Promise of the Real. And they take on Monsanto, yes. one of the biggest multinational corporations in the world, uh, genetic modification of food, Starbucks, <laughs> the food system yep. in general. I mean, these are huge, in- major amazing. institutions and topics on behalf of safe, healthy food. Right. And um, it just opens up the discourse. I don't care where people happen to be on, you know, in these debates about food policy. I mean, I happen to, I care personally. But what I'm saying is no matter where you're at, this album is, 
an incredible educational and intellectual statement, and it rocks. Yeah. I mean, I actually think, I think that um, Promise of the Real, which is uh, Willie Nelson's kids and friends, um, along with Neil Young, they recreate some of the great sound, the great feel. If, if you're a fan of Neil Young and yes, Crazy Chords. big time. But I yeah. think Neil Young was really rocking it at just this incredibly edgy, powerful uh, feel. Um, I think they, they hit that mark. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, honestly, if you didn't even care about these issues at all, this is a pretty cool album. Yeah. It's got a great rock and feel. Yeah. If you do care about the issues, it's a, I think it's a revelation. Right. It, it, is, it is the masterpiece of the year. All right. Finally, uh, John Nichols, we, obviously we're not hitting on every category for that. Of I course. point to people to thenation.com, this year's most valuable progressives. I'll link to it uh, from my blog at radioornot.com. I'll link to it from uh, the Brad blog as well, because we'll run this segment on the Bradcast. Uh, you know, uh, Randy Rhodes goes off the air. That's okay. I fill in for Brad Friedman over the holidays. Um, but I, I want to wrap up, John Nichols, with uh, the most valuable ideological comeback which is democratic socialism. I knew you'd find a way to put Bernie Sanders in here. <laughs> well, it's not just, you know, it's not just for any individual. I know. Uh, although uh, Sanders, you cannot deny the role that he has played in, in, you know, putting this issue, putting this idea, this ideology back in play, you know, literally watching him on national talk shows, explaining democratic socialism. I mean, we didn't see a lot of that for the last, say, 100 years. We didn't see um, Bernie Sanders either for all the years he'd been in the Senate and in the House before that. You know, um, uh, the last year, I, I think it was in 2014, might have been when Chuck Todd took over Meet the Press, they, um, uh, they initiated this new segment, Meet the Candidates. And again, oh, it was it was the end of 2014. It was before the 2014 elections. Bernie Sanders was not running for anything. He hadn't declared for the presidency yet. It was ahead of the, the 2014 election. So there were 435 House members up for re-election and probably at least 33 Senate seats up as well. Yep. For their inaugural segment of Meet the Candidates, they couldn't bring in an actual candidate. They brought in the guy that they thought might be running against Hillary Clinton. That was the first time Bernie Sanders was ever on Meet the Press. I found oh, it. No, I mean it's it, look, it's ridiculous <laughs> the, the the disengagement historically of our media with ideological diversity. Yep, yep. I mean, Bernie Sanders and in many countries around the world, Bernie Sanders and Ron Paul would have been your regulars, yeah, right? Right. On these shows, because not because they're always right, or even because you always agree with them, but they just they're interesting and they have perspective and they say things and they they go to unexpected places rather than having John McCain literally, you know, have his own personal chair on the mm-hmm. set. Um, and so, you know, yes, Sanders has broken through and pushed some ideas into the mix, but we should not fail to note that this comes in the context of a moment. First off, when Sanders talked about democratic socialism, Martin O'Malley might say he disagrees, he doesn't believe we have to go to socialism, but he doesn't reject it as somehow completely unacceptable or horrid. Hillary Clinton, to her immense credit, has, while well, she's you know, gone back and forth with Sanders on a number of things, has not said, oh, well, you know, socialism is an unacceptable idea or democratic socialism is something we can't even mention. I mean, so we have seen... On the Democratic side, striking progress for opening up the discourse, for accepting more ideas, 
Much has happened on the Republican side historically as the libertarians came in, and they initially were rejected and then forced the Republican Party to at least acknowledge the, the reality of a libertarian movement. Mm, mm-hmm. And so I see things happening that are important, and I would also give some credit to Shama Sawant, yes. the Socialist City Council member up in Seattle. Uh, in the piece there, in the settlement, we note uh, Jacobin Magazine, a young, fresh, very strong magazine that is, you know, really raising all these issues and, and about to do, I think, an ABC of socialism. You know, it's sort of basically a, uh, some answers to all the questions that are in play. We have a dynamic moment going on. And I would even include in that dynamic moment Ted Cruz and maybe even sometimes Donald Trump because they're attacking Bernie Sanders, right? Yeah, they're they're yeah. criticizing the fact yeah. that I think that's fine because in the end of the day, if we acknowledge that there are alternative economic ideas, we have already moved so far beyond the empty, corrupt, stupid debates of the past that, you know, I got to feel like, sorry, as difficult as 2015 was, I feel like we're, we're progressing. Moving in the right direction, John Nichols, huh? A little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it feels bit. good. Well, hopefully. And we'll see where we are a year from now. Uh, we have a date. <laughs> All right, my friend. I hope we talk many times in between. As, as and, do I. And I want to wish you... All the very best as you uh, as you enter into new adventures. Oh, and, uh, thank you. Both uh, at the end of this year and the start of next one. Uh, you, uh, thank you so much, John Nichols, uh, Washington correspondent for the Nation. Uh, it is always it is always my honor to to have you on the show. I, I love our discussions. I appreciate your work more than words can express. Thank you so much for being here today and and uh, for sharing your your wisdom and insights with us, John Nichols of the Nation. Happy New Year! Thanks, Nicole. Happy New Year. The Nation's John Nichols helping me wrap up the year here on the broadcast. A few thoughts before I sign off. I was thrilled when Brad Friedman decided to take the broadcast to five days a week. With so little airtime devoted to real news and information actually based in fact, it's important that Brad's work be heard. I hope that you're able to support the broadcast too, because it's imperative that we make sure shows like his are able to continue. I also hope that if you haven't already done so, you'll check out my show over at RadioOrNot.com. I'm on live weekday mornings from 10 to noon Eastern, but the show is available um, anytime, (laughs) always free. It's posted on the blog, it's available as a podcast, you know, in all the usual places. Like Brad, my show is listener-supported too. Well, I've got to wrap things up now, as I've got a wedding to get to, my own. It's taken me more than half a century to get here, so I don't want to be late. So have a safe and happy New Year celebration, and uh, we'll raise a glass tonight to a healthy, happy, prosperous, and democratic New Year. Until next time, I'm Nicole Sandler of Radio or Not, your guest host on the broadcast. 2016, here we come.